Hey, welcome to the Stephanie Stevens Show, where I help you discover the power of communication and the keys that unlock the doors to freedom in every area of your life. Well, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to the Stephanie Stevens Show. I'm Stephanie Stevens, and this podcast is about communications in every arena in life. And it's for people just like you who want to become masterful, expert communicators. So my background is in communications, and it spans a handful of arenas like autism and public speaking and radio and television and coaching and therapeutics and all sorts of interesting and sometimes strange things. So as we get to know each other a little bit better, we will touch all of those bases. But first, I just want to thank you again for allowing me into your life and allowing me to share my heart, my voice, my thoughts, and my time with you. I really appreciate it. Would you be so kind as to subscribe to the podcast? That way uh, you'll never miss an episode. And also, what? just one more thing, one more thing. If you would be so kind as to please rate the podcast, and what that does is allows other people, just like you, amazing people, who are also looking to grow and expand their horizons in a myriad of areas, it allows them to find it a little bit easier. I Somebody messaged me today, and so this is just, you know, we've been doing this for a couple of days now together, launching into this podcast space, and somebody said, hey, congratulations, you've got whatever, 138 or something like that, downloads, and you've got people listening in Belgium. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. So if you are in Belgium, God bless you, my friend. Thank you. It's wonderful to be connected to you. So the title of this podcast is Autism Moms Make Me Cry. Let me explain. I have a son with autism and his name is Benjamin. And even as I begin to say his name, I can feel myself getting emotional because I know where I'm going with this. You don't quite yet, but I do. So when my baby boy, I called him Gentle Ben. Uh, When my Gentle Ben was a baby, he seemed to be developing neurotypically. And he was looking at me and cooing and smiling and even up to um, eight months, 10 months, a year, he would sort of mimic words and sounds. And he would say, da-da. And (laughs) one of the things he would say is ice cream. But he would say it like this. He would say, I came, I came, okay? That's how babies say ice cream, (laughs) at least in English. So he would say things like that. He would make eye contact And I called him, my nickname for my baby bear was Gentle Ben because he was so sweet. He was such a good baby. He had this big, beautiful head of very dark, dark hair, big, you know, thick head of gorgeous hair and these beautiful eyes. And he was just a beautiful, gentle baby. And as he began to grow and develop, I started to see some things that were unexpected. Now, I had an older son. My older son uh, was, let's see, 15 months older, and he was developing neurotypically. So I knew what that looked like. Plus, I was the mom who read 
literally like all the books, uh, what to expect when you're expecting and a whole bunch of other kind of more unconventional types of books. Because let me, let me tell you, I was going to do everything the natural way. Ooh, yes, that's right. I was going to do awe de naturel. Um, you know, no epidural, no medication, just breathe, 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 uh, squeeze the, you know, stress balls and all those kinds of things. Okay. I'm not sure who comes up with those formulas. Now, since then, I have learned a great deal about things like deep breathing and even things like hypnotherapy um, in terms of being able to put oneself into a state of focused awareness. But back then, I was 25 and it wasn't happening. So uh, it was an extraordinary experience for me, becoming a mother, the most joyous thing ever. But but it wasn't easy, and I, I I begged and pleaded for the epidural. It didn't happen because it was just too late. And by the way, there was also no anesthesiologist in the building at the time, which isn't a good thing for a hospital. Um, so that being said, I <clears throat> I had my first son, and then Benjamin came along uh, 15 months later. I think they call that Irish twins. Anyway, so we would, you know, they'd be in a stroller together and people would say, oh, cute, are they twins? And I would explain that they were 15 months apart. But Asben began to continue to develop. Between that marker of 15 months and 18 months, something started to happen. And he stopped making eye contact. It was like, if I had to describe it in a word picture, it was like he was backing away mentally. It was like... He was fading, and I was confused and scared. And I started to talk to some people about it, and I'll never forget it. His well check at 12 months, or was it 15 months? Anyway, you know, things had been okay. But then that marker, milestone, 18-month well check, things were very strange. And I asked the doctor, his pediatrician, to to check some things out. I said, you know, what I'm finding is he he almost acts as though he can't hear us. So he'll he'll look at us, but then he'll turn away and we'll start, we'll clap and we'll click pens and we'll look at him and we'll, we'll kind of shout or make noises and he won't look. But every time a toilet flushed anywhere in the house, he would run to the toilet to watch the water swirl. And that's what was so bizarre to me. Same with the, the things that I would put on the TV. I would, I would you know, play like Veggie Tales or some kids show that I thought was appropriate and maybe even educational. And he would not watch the show. Instead, he would wa- run up to the TV and he would watch the credits scroll at the end of the show. So this was obviously very strange for me. I had no familiarity with autism at the time. But as I have, was having conversations and trying to figure out what to do and what kind of tests should we run, I, I think we first decided to do an audiology test and to find out if there was any hearing impairment. Um, then that checked out okay. And the pediatrician finally said, I want you to go have an assessment done. And in the meantime, I'm talking to my family and I'm very close with my sister and I was having a conversation with her. And she said, you know, Steph, is it possible that Benjamin might have autism? And when she said that, honestly, now bear with me in this, the only reference I had to autism was the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise, who I had a crush on for, you know, half my life. 
And I thought it was absurd. And frankly, I was offended. I was, I said, absolutely, what? Autism? No, what? That's crazy. Absolutely not. Of course not. What are you talking? And I, I actually kind of took it out on her just a teeny bit because I was so taken aback by the suggestion and I just didn't think it was possible. So I... Uh, went ahead and reluctantly scheduled the assessment anyway, just because the doctor said I should. And the the assessment was two days. It was agonizing. It was, I think it was agonizing for me. It was probably twice as agonizing for Ben at two years old at the time in these strange offices with blocks on the floor and little apparatuses. And they were trying to get him to do various things and, you know, look at trying to check out his spatial awareness and trying to get them to mimic him and putting little puzzle blocks in front of him to see what he would do. And they made all of these different, they had all these tests and made all of these assessments and they were writing down notes every time they went. And it was so incredibly nerve wracking. And then afterward, we had to wait a couple of days and the results came back and we were told that our gentle Ben had a diagnosis of autism. No, it was developmental disability. Uh, and at the time they were doing this thing where they would put a, a ta- they would tack on the not otherwise specified. So some type of neurological co- or cognitive delay or disorder, um, NOS not otherwise specified. And... I was shattered. I was absolutely shattered um, because I I didn't know what to do. And I went into mom mode where you just search the internet relentlessly. You don't sleep day and night. I searched, I did research, I made phone calls, um, and I tried to figure out what this thing called autism was. And thank the good Lord, I had so much support from from my family. Um, And we all kind of dove in together. I happened to have a a second cousin who was the head of a psychology department at a local university who had some familiarity and was actually training therapists in behavioral therapy for for young children with autism. We were told back then that this was 1990, let's see, nine. I was told that my son had a very short window of time by which he would learn, that the neuroplasticity would start to solidify by the age of seven. Now, all parents were told that then. So you can only begin to imagine how parents were scrambling to get the therapeutics underway. And it's like the clock is ticking. Every second that goes by, you're panicked. And I don't have a therapist that's trained. And I don't have a team yet. And we need a protocol. We we need a, a plan. We need programs for speech. We need programs for compliance. We need all of these things. And in the in the meantime, you know, at the time, there was no way to pay for it. I mean, we were... We were paying for our therapies out of our pocket and then putting groceries on credit cards. That's what launched me into shortly thereafter legislating for what was called IEBT, which was Early Intervention Behavioral Therapies. And we did that at the legislative level. Several of us, parents, moms, dads, advocates, we worked with a a legislator at the time. That's a whole other show. That's another sidetrack. The point is I worked hard to try to find help for my son, put a team together in home, learned how to do the therapies myself, trained everybody who would listen, and um, really went to town. 
in trying to heal my son, heal him. I wanted to fix him. I wanted him to be able to have the life that I believed he should have. Now, this show is dedicated to autism moms and dads um, because we go through this series of things. And it, it doesn't matter if it's autism or a related condition or something similar. When you find something out about your child that you have no control over, it puts you in a different headspace. And for some, for some of you, maybe it's, it's a child who's become addicted to drugs, uh, a child with an eating disorder, um, a child in an abusive relationship, I mean, you name it, something that you discover that you have no control over kind of puts you in this very bizarre survival mode headspace, but you're also doing everything you can to find an answer. That's what I was doing. So uh, in the process of that, all of the work, all of the therapies, I did communicate with and collaborate with a couple of other sets of parents, and we developed an organization called The Lazarus Project. And it was going to provide services and therapeutics for babies, essentially, from the age two to seven. Because we were told that at seven years old, game, game over, either they're learning before then or they're not. And by the way, there was no funding either uh, for therapeutics past the age of seven. All the kids were supposed to be healed by then. If they were ever going to be healed, that window of opportunity, seven years old, and then they would just seamlessly transition right into the school district at, in first grade and all would be well. Well, what do you suppose the percentage of kids is that actually does that? So I sat on boards of directors, I advocated, I helped to set up organizations, and I worked really hard. And personally, I struggled and I wrestled with God because I had called myself a Christian. I was a Christian, but I, in, a, in the space I'm in now, it's far more expanded than any type of organized religion or church specifically can provide because they can't, they, it's, it's impossible to put words to the expanse and the nature of the creator of all universes. How can you possibly even pick apart at it week by week by week in a sermon, right? You can't. Now, I'm not knocking church. I'm just saying I was, I was in a church at the time that, uh, that went like this. If you pray really hard and you have faith, anybody you pray for should be healed. It's just a matter of faith. Even the faith of a mustard seed should go ahead and heal uh, the person you're praying for. So imagine how I dove into also praying for my son for his healing. So I would go into his room late at night if he would finally fall asleep and there were years and years and years where we got zero sleep, felt like zero sleep. We must have had some because I'm here today to, to tell about it. But we, it was sleepless because he just, he would, he would ramp up at night. He would run around the house. He would uh, make a lot of noise. He would engage in stim, stim behaviors or, or verbal stimulatory behaviors where he would be making, you know, high-pitched noises and things and things like that. And it was... Frankly, it was maddening. I, I was sleep deprived uh, for years to the, to the degree where I, I engaged 
a process, my body engaged in a process of kind of shutting down and adrenal failure kicked in. I, I just was having so many issues, thyroid issues, metabolism issues. I mean, I, I couldn't keep weight on. I was stressed out. Um, my, my adrenaline was at an all-time high because I was always, always, always watching for him, protecting him, trying to help him. And I was raising my other son as well. And it was something else. But back to the going in at night and praying. I would go in and I would pray and I would lay my hands on my baby boy's head when he would finally fall asleep, even for just a little, little bit of time here and there. He would basically exhaust himself. And when he did, I would sneak in there and try to be as quiet as possible and I would pray. And I would cry. And I would beg. And I would bargain and I would plead and I, I would... I'd do anything. I would, I would sing. I would worship. I would praise. Oh, yeah, you know, you're supposed to worship and praise. Bring all of your requests before God with praise, you know, and prayer and, and supplication. And I did, I did all of it for years. And you can imagine what that did to my relationship with God. <laughs> when night after night, week after week, month after month, and year after year, my baby boy was not healing. And I wondered if it was me. Was it a me problem? Was it a God problem? Was it a faith problem? What was it? And I wrestled and struggled. So you know what was happening simultaneously, though, is that I was also engaging these other organizations and efforts, and I was setting up the Lazarus Project, and we were doing therapy not just for my son, but for many, many children. And I was advocating, and our group was able to pass legislation that allowed for a greater expanse of therapeutics for a longer period of time. And actually, there were efforts at the same time that were um, allowing for health care providers, health insurance, to actually cover some of the cost as well. So those efforts were fruitful, and it was productive. And yet, I wanted my baby boy to be healed because I wanted him to have the life, again, that I thought he was supposed to have on this planet. And the years went by, and I started to resign myself to the fact that maybe this is just the way it was going to be, and maybe I had nothing to do with it. Maybe I did. I also wrestled with tremendous guilt. I, I looked back at his early care. I looked back at the couple of vaccines I allowed the nurses to give him after arguing with the nurses. Arguing. I will never forget the nurse's name. I argued with her as a 20-something-year-old kid because my, my spirit, my gut, my instinct told me that a little baby should not have to be subjected to a hepatitis B shot, you know, at the ripe old age of, you know, four and six months old. I thought that was absurd. Um, obviously, he wasn't going to be at risk for IV drug use. <laughs> Um, no sexually transmitted diseases, and I was not a carrier. So it made no sense, and it really bothered me. And yet I was told, I was told by the nurse, I was told by the pediatrician, he would never be able to go to school, and he would never be able to go to you know, Sunday school or any kind of group activity because it was a requirement to have these vaccines if he was ever going to engage any of those activities. So again, my thoughts on that are for another show. But uh, I've done a lot of research and talked to a lot of experts over the years, and we do have problems, my friends. We have problems. 
with the schedules by which these things are happening. And I think more and more evidence of that is coming out now. But in the meantime, I was going to do everything I possibly could to, to make sure I was creating some type of change in this arena of autism. So all of these years later, after Benjamin went through his therapeutics and, and went to an autism school that was absolutely amazing, um, I started to th watch things come full circle. He became an adult, and at 21 years old, everything in terms of therapeutics ends. And they simply say to these kids and these families, you know, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate the federal dollars you brought our school. <laughs> and you're on your own. Because the governments and the waivers and those types of uh, funding sources dry up when a child turns 21 years old. They're considered an adult and they move into adult services if you can find any. So me and my business partner knew, both being moms of kids on the spectrum, we had to do something I left my career in radio and I dove headfirst into creating an organization that would provide the services. Now that's the business side. Back to the personal side. It's not until this last couple of years where it actually dawned on me that in the bigger scope of things, it's possible that there's a lot I don't know and a lot I don't see and many dimensions and many... Um, ideas of what's actually happening here on this earth and why things are happening the way they are. And if Benjamin was here for such a time as this on this planet as an earth angel to help me and others inspire help and support for even one other young man or woman, he'd do it. He'd agree to it. He would agree to come here in this way, just if it meant helping one other person. I know him. He's the sweetest soul on the planet. So what, what if? I just asked myself, what if? You know, what if he and his incredible creator had some dialogue before he came here about what his intention would be in this planet for such a time as this? And what if I just happened to be blessed enough to be the one that was going to facilitate some of that and support some of that. What an honor. What a privilege. Now, it doesn't make the day-to-day -day simple or easy. And we need to acknowledge that. And I want to support you if you are an autism mom or dad. It's not easy. And it's okay to be honest about it. It is okay to love your child with every fiber of your being and you're probably uh, like me, and I've said many times, if I could go back in time, I would. If there was one thing I could change to change the trajectory of all of this, I'd do it. I'd do it in a heartbeat. In fact, I've said that about all my kids <laughs> when it comes to various situations. But we cannot live with regret. We have to be solution-oriented, and we have to lend our voice to what we can do that will move the needle, that will make a change. And so I do believe now, I believe with all my heart that Benjamin is here because he's willing and he is teaching all of us many, many lessons over the course of time. He is teaching patience, perseverance, acceptance. He is teaching what it means to uh, find joy in the simplest of things. My son finds joy in rolling the window down and sticking his head out the window. You should see his face, the biggest smile from ear to ear, just to have the wind blowing on his face. How incredible is that? I mean, I think 
what a lesson in moving into and pressing into enjoying the little things and embracing them and living in those moments for what they are. What if we fully embrace the moment with the window down and our face sticking out the window and became childlike again and enjoy that? What would that do for our soul? What would that do for our emotions? What would that do for our bodies? I think we have a lot to learn by this incredible population, but I want to affirm you and support you, my friend. It's not easy. And it's okay to talk about it not being easy. It's okay to vent about it. It's okay to process. It's hard. It can be exhausting. It will try your patience six ways until Sunday. Guaranteed. It will fray your nerves from time to time. You will need a breaks. You will need a space from time to time so that you can refresh and then move back into a place of support and service. And... I want to applaud you and support you in it. Now, the reason I titled this podcast Autism Moms Make Me Cry, and Dads Too, because I have the opportunity now in what I do to communicate with other parents all, all week long. I mean, I do intakes for new participants in our program, and here's one of the things that moves me. Every time I talk to a parent and I say, Tell me what's important to your son or daughter, right? Tell me what's important to, as though you're answering for them, you are their voice right now. What is important to your son or daughter? And they'll tell me, well, they love Taylor Swift, or they love um, playing a specific game, or they love uh, movies from 1995, or they love uh, swimming in a pool, they love being in the water, they love their friends, they love making new friends, you name it, they'll tell me. Then when I say, and mom or dad, what is important from your perspective for? And then I'll say their name. And everything shifts. And I watch. And I watch their face. And I watch their eyes drop. And I watch them look around the room. And I watch their countenance change and their body language changes and goes a little bit limp and I I watch and I hear them say I just want him to be happy I just want him to be happy I want him to feel productive I want him to contribute I want him safe and I just want him to be happy can you do that so I honor you In your role as a support mechanism, I honor you. I honor your desire, your love, your compassion, your support, and your ultimate intention and wish for your loved one to feel supported, productive, and happy. And for these earth angels and for those who cannot control certain things about their lives, cannot control where they go and when they go there. Why? Because they don't drive. They can't facilitate public transportation for themselves. Imagine being 100% reliable on somebody else all day, every day, just to get your basic needs met, just to go somewhere or have something. Can you imagine? So For those of you called into that mechanism of support and service, God bless you. You are honorable. And, you know, I just wonder the conversations we will have 
in different dimensions, in different times. When we see the full breadth and depth of our mission here and what it meant throughout the course of time and eternity and across all dimensions, the ones we don't see and the ones that we see, you know, that ripple effect. I can't wait to stand side by side with you, shoulder to shoulder, and maybe we'll give each other a hug and maybe we'll link arms and we'll say, wow, we're not an island. We did this with the support of each other. We did this with the encouragement of each other. And um, we did it because we were called to. And it was a magnificent job. (laughs) So today, again, I honor you. Don't forget to take that breath. Don't forget to take a deep breath now and again and just pause for a minute. When it gets a little bit frustrating, let your nervous system recalibrate. Maybe find a space of appreciation for the fact that you were called because you were trusted. You were trusted with this job for such a time as this. In this short lifetime, in the span of eternity, you were selected as somebody incredibly responsible and honorable, somebody who was worthy of supporting, somebody who needed that level of support. It's pretty incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me share my heart with you. Thank you for listening. And I honor you today. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. And I can't wait to connect with you again the next time. Thanks so much for listening to The Stephanie Stevens Show. Please remember to subscribe so we can stay connected and you never miss an episode of the podcast. Oh, and if you haven't left a rating yet, please be sure to do so. It helps incredible people like you find the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode.